You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. It is, uh, it is good to be with you this morning. I bring greetings from my mom and dad. I, I crashed at their house last night, and uh, my dad is uh, recovering as well as you can. He wants you to know that. Everyone keeps saying, how's your dad doing? And I said to him, you got to give me an answer, because everyone says, how are you doing? He's like, I'm fine. I was like, you're not fine. He's like, well, I'm as good as I can be. So receive that and, uh, and continue to pray for him, please. We as a family appreciate uh, your care for him in that way. So if you have a Bible right now, though, I'd appreciate if you open it up to Galatians chapter 2, verse. 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. And as you flip there and get to Galatians 2, verse 20, you might be like, this is a familiar verse. I've read this verse before. Or maybe at some point in your life, you even had it memorized. That's fantastic. Um, I hope that this is a verse that you have been familiar with. And if you haven't, that by the time we're done here today, you will be very familiar with. I, I love getting to speak in different places. It's such an honor and a privilege, but it's so humbling at the same time. And so uh, please, if you if you don't haven't found a Bible yet, find one, because I, I I don't have anything to tell you today, just to help you understand God's word a little better, I hope, all right? So Galatians 2.20 is where we're going to be. And this morning, this passage is all about faith in Jesus. Uh, This verse is going to teach us about what our faith in Jesus should look like and how it should be lived out and why uh, we should live this out. So my question for you this morning then is, how is your faith in Jesus? And when I ask that, I don't mean how's your church attendance been so far this summer, And I don't mean, have you read your Bible today, this week, this month, or even this year? Or have you shared the gospel with anybody? Or did you say a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior at summer camp along? That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about your faith in Jesus, I'm talking about your understood reality of the gift of the gospel. How has, this is a heart condition, how has the truth of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection in your place and my place, if our faith is in Jesus, then transformed your life? How has that happened? Because that's what your faith in Jesus is all about. And that's what we're going to see as Paul articulates here uh, for us in Galatians 2.20, what faith in Jesus should look like. How has the truth of the gospel transformed your life? And if I'm honest with you, there are times and moments and in my life where it's a struggle. It's a struggle, and it feels kind of like a yo-yo. There's some days and moments where I'm just like trusting God at his word and acting upon it. I'm believing what he says, and I'm, and I'm following exactly how he wants me to. But then there's other times where that's going to be hard, and so I'm not doing that like I know I should be. And it's a struggle against flesh and against sin, and, and maybe you're in that place too where you're not always living out your perfect faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, God's word is going to help us on what faith should look like and how it should be lived and why it should be lived out. So we bow your heads with me as we just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word that we can open. God, I have no wisdom to give these people right now, but your word does. And I pray, Lord, that you would move by your spirit. You would teach us in this moment, in this time. You would help us to understand your word, God. And you would move by your spirit. You would bring a conviction where appropriate. You would bring encouragement where needed, Lord. And ultimately, God, you would display your glory to all of us and and you would be worshipped as a result of our time here. So we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. All right. Galatians 2.20, let me read you the verse. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're going to pull three points out of this this morning, but it's important that you get a little context first. So Paul is writing to the people of Galatia, this, this region, this church, and he's writing to them because he needs to correct some faulty teaching that they've received. If you've read the book of Galatians before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He has addressed the problem that some people have come in and given a false gospel. And the reason I air quote gospel was because gospel means good news. And what they were getting uh, was not good news because it was the hope of salvation, but it had some other things attached. It wasn't in the finished work of Jesus Christ because people were attaching on these other things. So like Jesus died for your sin, but you also have to X, Y, Z, jump through all these hoops. That's not good news. That's dependent on me. And so Paul, he's writing this letter to correct that false teaching. And he even goes on to paint this picture of this extreme scenario that would never happen. But where, and maybe you're familiar with this. He says, like, if someone comes to preach to you a gospel other than what I've said, even an angel from heaven, which would not happen. But it's like, even if an angel came and told you something other than you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, don't listen to them. So that's what he's been writing about. And he's been going from chapter one, verse one, all the way to chapter two, verse 19. So that's like some... Four, 53 verses so far, all about this, and then he just summarizes it in one verse again before he transitions into the rest of his message. So I had thought, you know, I could preach on like the first 53 verses, but it would probably be more efficient if we just looked at the one summary verse, okay? So I encourage you, though, to go read the, everything up until now this afternoon, but today we're just going to look at this one verse this great verse. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. So Paul now here, he is describing what this faith, this saving faith justified by faith in Jesus Christ should look like. And the first thing he says is that he's been crucified with Christ, with Christ. This is something that happens to those who are followers of Jesus. Then he goes on and says, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. I love that. Your salvation comes through faith in the son of God. It doesn't come by good church attendance. It doesn't come by high morals. It doesn't come because you have a really nice looking Bible. It doesn't come because you have a case for your Bible. It, it comes through faith in Jesus. That's how you and I are saved. That is the truth of the gospel. And if we understand that, then there's things that it does in our life. And here's the first one. Let's look at it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here's point number one this morning. Living my faith means I need to die to self. This is what Paul is getting at here. He's articulating what salvation in Jesus Christ looks like. He starts off with this extreme word crucified, and you should probably underline that. It's the key to this first little understanding of the verse. I've been crucified with Christ. We'll explain that in a second. I want you to think of another verse you probably know. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son to die on a cross. He, took, he was crucified. We're familiar with this. To take the punishment of sin that you and I justly deserve, that if we believe in Jesus, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus died a physical death, taking spiritual punishment for your and my sin if we believe in Jesus. So when Paul writes this and he says, I've been crucified with Christ, he's not saying that he was actually nailed to a cross. We can understand that, all right? The Galatian people, they understood that. We were like, we've met Paul. We know he wasn't crucified. He's talking about something else. What's he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual being within him that is so pulled to sin, constantly wicked and depraved all the time. That's what has to be dying. That's what needs to be crucified. And so he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He said this again in Romans 6, verse 6. 
He said, we know that our old self was crucified in him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is a killing sin. This is what he's talking about. Killing sin. Paul is teaching that there needs to be a putting to death, a crucifying of the sinful uh, flesh inside us. Now, we live here in the flesh on the outside, but inside our spiritual tendency to fall and walk into sin, we need to be putting that to death. Uh, One commentator uh, used the word to describe this as cruciformity. I like this word. I don't know if he made it up, but it was in a book, so I'm quoting it to you now, all right? And this word cruciformity, it's a combination of two words. You can make up a spelling whatever you want to spell it, okay? But it's the word crucifixion and the word conformity. And it's the blending of these two words together. And so there's this idea that we are crucifying our sinful nature, killing the flesh, our our sinful desires that pull us away from God. That needs to be killed. We need to be destroying that and the conformity of us becoming more like Jesus, cruciformity. Isn't that a fun word? All right, you learned a new word at church today. Maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds a lot like sanctification. Yes, it's, it's the same thing. Cruciformity and sanctification are the same thing, except cruciformity, because it's got the word crucify in it, it's bringing the intensity level up to the ridding ourselves of sin. We need to be intense about ridding ourselves of sin. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Galatians, wrote this. We cannot be firmly rooted in the gospel and not experience a kind of sacrifice and suffering that we may very well call death. If there's no death in our life, there's probably no gospel either. It's pretty intense. What have you killed lately? What has been dying in your life? What has been being removed from your life? Because listen, Paul's saying here that he has been crucified with Christ. And he doesn't mean physically. He means the spiritual tendencies and pulls to sin that he has. He's been getting rid of those from his life. And so now he can say this. Look at the next part of the verse. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He can't do this on his own. You can't do this on your own. If we, you were told today, and maybe you're being told for the first time, you're hearing it from me that you have sin and that sin separates you from God. There's nothing you and I can do on our own to get rid of that sin. It's only through, look at the second line in this verse, Christ who lives in me. It's only Jesus Christ in you that brings you any victory over sin. Andrew Murray, uh, he said this, God works in us the new man while we are to be putting off the old man. So saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, but you're still here on earth struggling, fighting. And so there's this ridding yourself of sin and becoming more like Jesus that needs to be happening. Uh, Paul said in Romans 6, 1, um, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, listen, you got to get sin out of your life. i got to get sin out of my life. We need to be consciously, intentionally thinking about this. This is why Paul uses this such a heavy word and says, I have been crucified with Christ. I want you to have a mental picture of this, okay? Hopefully this will stick with you maybe this week or maybe even longer. I'm standing on a street corner and around you are all these bullies and these thugs. And every one of these bullies and thugs is a, uh, a selfish thought a sinful behavior, an inappropriate action, um, all the things of this world that would so drag you away. And apart from Jesus Christ, you do whatever they tell you all of your life. 
So many people in this world are just being completely moved around and shoved around and taken all over the place by these sinful desires that are all around them. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, though, you understand that the, the consequences of giving into these things is separation from God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, this is why when a temptation to sin comes along, you feel things like conviction because you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And you feel guilt when you give into it because you're like, I know this is opposing to God and I, I don't want to walk in this behavior anymore. Please stop it. I don't want this anymore. Now, by the grace of God, there's people in this room this morning, praise the Lord, who through Christ in you, as the verse says, you have had victory over some of these. And you have landed some knockout punches, not you, Christ in you, spiritual punches to the attack of sin in your life that, listen, you're still in the flesh. It's not gone. It's not dead, but it's knocked down and you're having some victory. Praise the Lord. But sadly for many believers, we have become apathetic in the fight against sin. We've been getting pushed around and bullied by our sin and sometimes even ignoring that it's happening and just giving into it and being so free about it that we're not attacking and we're not fighting back anymore. Listen, this morning, I believe that God's word is calling us to fight sin again. Not you, but Christ in you to grab sin by the throat, punch it in the face, throw it on the ground, stomp on its head and kick it in the gut. Now, maybe you're like, pastor just got super violent there for a second. Okay, look at the verse again with me. Okay, look at the verse, okay? says this, I have been crucified. Now, when we think of the word crucified, we rightly think of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and we're thankful for what happens there. But living in 2017, we haven't experienced what crucifixion was all about. So for the people in the church of Galatia, when they're sitting in the back of church and someone's reading this letter from Paul over them, and he says, I've been crucified, they would have like shuddered at the word. Oh, that's horrible. I saw it one time. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. It's, it's, Oh, like, so that's, what, that's why I tried to use that like, extreme language here. Because you and I need to better understand that sin is crucifyingly serious. John Owen said, we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. That's the reality. We need to be intentionally attacking sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That's a really nice way to say is dead, is killed. The old has passed away and the new has come. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. So any of the old and sinful tendencies that are still around, they got to be cut off. They got to be crucified. They got to be killed. We need to be stirred again this morning to a fresh desire to kill our sin and to remove it from our lives. But again, it's not us who do it. It's Christ who lives in us through faith in Jesus. We can have victory over sin. It's not you. It's Jesus in you that you can have victory over sin. What is that sin this morning that you need to kill? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it some substance abuse or dependency? Is it vanity? Is it deceit? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? No more failing to fight. God's word is calling us to fight and to kill sin. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, okay, well, I need help. All right, all right, I got a couple things for you. Here's the first thing, a couple steps, okay? First, repent of all known sin. Step one in dying to self is repent of all known sin. Come before the Lord and say, this is everything that I know that you are not pleased with and I just, I, I confess it to you and I ask you to forgive me of it. That's where you start, okay? And this, this is not something that happens really quickly because if you're honest and you ask the Lord to reveal your sin, you know in an increasing measure the magnitude of your sin and you become more aware of all of the things in your life that you know God is not pleased with. But that's the best place to start. 
So you know what the enemy is. You know what the problem is. And you're just laying it all on the table and saying, God, I'm sorry for all of these things. So repent of all known sin. And then I would only add to that, ask God to reveal to you the sin that you have probably become so accustomed to, and, and myself as well, that we, we don't even think of it as sin anymore. We've just been doing it so much that we don't, we don't think of that attitude or that behavior or that kind of tone that we give to that person as pride, although it is. Like, what, what are those unknown sins? So repent of sin. And then two, second thing, is you need a kill sin plan. You need a plan to kill sin, all right? And I would give you the first two steps on your kill sin plan. Here's this. Here's step number one on killing sin plan, okay? Pray for the death of sin. Pray for the death of sin. When was the last time you called out to God to punch your sin in the face? Now, maybe you would say it way more elegantly than that, okay, which is totally great, all right? That's, those are my words, okay? But we pray, we go to God, and rightly so, bringing our requests and our petitions to him for all sorts of things, which he wants us to do. But he wants the ridding of sin from our life as well. And he wants to help us with that, because we can't do it on our own. It's only Christ in us. So we need to go to him. When was the last time you asked God to kill your sin? We need to be doing this regularly. This goes along with, if you're repenting of sin, if you're consciously reminding yourself of what your sin is and confessing it before God, then you can then turn to him and say, please kill this in my life. Help me with this. Okay, so pray. That's step number one. Step number two is God's word. God's word in your life. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sadly, a lot of people think that I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you means I got to like read my Bible every morning and then I won't sin. Eh, that's not how it happens. Oh, I need to memorize some verses so I'll stop sinning. Eh, that's not how it happens, okay? That is just like some sort of behavior modification, and it doesn't work like that. The verse says, I've stored up your word in my heart. How has God's word, the truth of the gospel, found doctrine, theology into your life, changed who you are? I commend to you getting a verse with theology that will teach you what you need to hear, memorize it, and remind yourself of it when those moments come. And this doesn't mean that like the temptation comes and you're like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You just have this like Pavlonian reflex where you're just like spitting up. Not like that at all. Let me show you what it looks like. And I would commend to you this verse. This is my fight verse and I give it to all of you freely now, okay? It's Galatians 2.20. And so when temptation comes along, when those moments of, of bad attitude or whatever it is comes along, I stop and go, okay, I've been crucified with Christ. Remind yourself, teach yourself the theology. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to this type of thinking, this behavior, this type of action. It's got to be gone in my life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, you got to do this. I can't do this in my own strength. It has to be you. It has to be you. Please, Lord, would you do this? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God because I can't do it. I'm trusting you, God. I'm depending on you. And I know that you care. And I know that you love me because the end of the verse says, and we'll get there in just a few minutes, that you loved me and gave yourself for me. Please, Lord, help me. That's what it means to hide God's word in our heart. It's great to memorize a passage of scripture. Fantastic. But is the truth of that scripture changing your heart and changing your life? Get God's word in you. Pray, get God's word in you and fight against the flesh. Die to self. Die to self. If you and I are going to live our faith, we need to die to self. Let's go on in the verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Can I just pause for a second as a, the preacher to the people right now? 
I've said this verse like 20 times now, because subliminally, I'm trying to get you to memorize it, all right? I'm doing half the work for you, so today when you go home and you're like, I'm going to try and memorize that verse, it's really familiar. It's because I said it to you 20 times, okay? So go home and memorize it, all right? I'm not doing this by accident. I want you to memorize this verse, okay? So uh, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then look at this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you live now in the flesh? Yes, but do you live by faith in Jesus? Do you genuinely and authentically live out your faith that you say that you have or that you read and want to have from God's word? Is that actually evident in your life? Are you living what you say you believe? This is point number two. If we're going to genuinely live out our faith in Jesus, we need to live what we believe. We need to live out what we believe. There needs to be conviction in our heart. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. I connected the words faith and Son of God with a little arrow in my Bible. Because I need to be reminded of this, that my trust needs to be in the sufficient work of Jesus on my behalf, his perfect sacrifice, his sustaining power, that his word is true, that his way is best. And when I go his way, I don't go wrong. Are we thinking about that often, though? That when I go his way, I don't go wrong. David Platt wrote this, the Christian life is not so much about you and I living for Christ. Pause here for a second. Because so often, that's what we think it's about. Oh, Jesus did all this for me back then, so I got to do all this for him now. No, that's wrong. He did all this for you then, he's doing all this for you now, and he will continue to carry you right into eternity, all right? So it's not like you can just like live for him to pay him back. That's not how it works. So Platt says the Christian life is not so much about you and I living for Christ as it is trusting Christ to live for us and through us and in us. That's faith. That's what our lives need to be reflected on, a trust and a dependence on God. But sadly, we try to fight sin on our own. We fail to seek God. We fail to seek his help, his strength, his continued power for victory. We fail to believe that his way is best, that his sacrifice was perfect. And we show this with our continued apathy to fight sin, not taking sin seriously, and not even hating sin anymore. And that's a problem. So we need to understand better that we've been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ and remove sin from our life. We've been crucified with Christ. In the life we now live in the flesh, we need to live by faith in the Son of God. If we are saved in Christ, if you are saved in Christ, you should have a growing confidence of the betterness of obedience to the glory of God. That as you walk in obedience to him and grow in passion for him and trust him, he will take care of you. Our senior pastor at my church often says, a saving faith is a changing faith. If your faith has saved you, it has changed you. Can you see change in your life because of the work of salvation in your heart? Is that an evident thing for you? Do you live what you say you believe? Paul says we should live by faith here. That word faith means uh, to trust or depend on God. That means we're going to have to live against our natural sinful tendencies and desires, which is going to be hard. It means that we need to believe that it's best to stand up to sin because God says so, that it's best to live for his glory because God says it is, and that it's best uh, to trust him for help all the time because we need it all the time because he says so. Now, maybe you're like, where does he say all that? In his word. Do you genuinely believe and trust God and care for him and believe what he says in his word? Because those are all things that say in his word. So are we responding correctly and appropriately, living out what we say we believe? If we were to go around the room right now and take a survey of how many people love or even genuinely just a little bit like 
hypocrites, all right, they score very low on the love scale, all right? Maybe you're tolerant of people who are hypocritical, but we don't genuinely like, like people who are hypocrites. Listen, so often as followers of Jesus, we get into hypocritical behavior. We say one thing, but we don't live it. We say our doctrine, our theology, our belief is this, but it's not reflected with our lives. And what happens is we begin to live this lie where we think we're doing what God wants us to be doing, but sadly, the only person who's believing that lie is us because God knows the genuineness of your and my heart today. And so if you are here and you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, then is it evident in your life? Is it evident and growing and increasing evidence in our lives that we would be people walking in obedience to God, trusting his word and believing it, taking him at his word and acting upon it? Are we doing that? Can you say this middle part of this verse that the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the son of God? I got to tell you, I'd like to be able to say that all the time, but there's times when I'm not trusting him and I'm trusting in myself. I'm depending on myself. This is a condition of the heart. It's a heart problem. The problem is living for ourselves, living for our self-love, my comfort, my glory, and my pleasure all the time. That's what causes me not to live by faith and trust that God's way is best. Think about this for a second. Three different relationships. How would life change for the better if you walked in faithful obedience to how God has called you to remove sin from your life and to take him at his word? Let's just start with in your workplace. If you were less about boasting yourself and making yourself look good and, and, and maybe you're like, well, I'll never get noticed. You got to trust the Lord. You got to trust the Lord with that. Are you going to willfully walk in pride and self-promotion and, and comfort of you, of you or are you going to trust the Lord with that? How much better would it be to just be able to walk in the peace of like, I know the Lord's taking care of me. I have a friend, he works for Scotiabank and his boss came to him recently and was like, listen, you're doing fantastic, but no one ever sees it. You need to show off your great work more. And he's just like, that's contrary to what I believe I should do. <laughs> and his boss kind of thought he was a crazy person, but he's trying to live this out where he's like, I'm not going to live to be all about boasting about me. Think about it in your marriage. If you were less concerned about your comfort and your pleasure and your momentary happiness, how much better would your marriage be? If you genuinely walked in obedience to God and took the care of others, more importantly, think about your relationship with your kids. If you were less, and I got to tell you, I have three kids under the age of nine, all right? So there's moments when it's just like, I just need some quiet in this house right now. Peace be still. I just wish I could like step out on the craziness waters of my living room someday and just like calm the sea. I can't do it. But this, often those are selfish desires though. And so how much different and how much better would our relationships be if we actually responded to God and faithfully obeyed him and trusted him knowing that he would take care of us? Do you believe that God's word is true, that his love is perfect, that his commands are because he loves you, that sin is a big deal, and that you're in complete um, need of his intervention at all times? Then you need to live like it, and I need to live like it. We need to be conscious of the times when we're not living like it. We need to be trusting in him, depending on him, praying to him, running from sin and running to him, and genuinely living out what we say that we believe. Now, maybe you're here right now and you're like, okay, die to self and live more authentically for Jesus. That's really hard so far, Pastor. Thanks for being a guest today, but you've just like pulled me down a little bit. Listen, the verse isn't over. Praise the Lord, okay? And, and I believe what's coming at the end of the verse is like gasoline for your spiritual faith fire, right? Look at this. This is the end of the verse. 
by faith in the Son of God who loved me, look at this, look at this, look at this, and gave himself for me. See that in your Bible? You got to underline that. You got to highlight that. That is the best that he has given himself for you. Here's point number three. Living out faith in Jesus means we let God's love fuel us. Let God's love fuel me. This is a confidence that comes in the reality of God's love for you. When Paul says that he has loved me, this is referring to God's motive behind his work at the cross. He's, just, he's doing it to show his affection for us. God's not up in heaven hating you because of your sin. Listen, he hates your sin, but he loves you. This is why Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross, to show you his love. Let the love of Christ fuel you. Romans 2, 4 says that, that God's love and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. That as we begin to see the love and the kindness and the compassion and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God poured out at the cross for us, that as we begin to understand that, it causes us to be like, well, I don't want to walk in that sin anymore. Well, I'm not willing to just be knocked around and pushed down by these bullies anymore. I'm going to fight back by the grace of God in me, Jesus Christ in me, have some victory. But that happens when we understand that we have been greatly loved by God. He has loved us, Scripture goes on to say, while we were yet sinners. Think about that for a second. If you've ever doubted the love of God for you, before you were born, everyone in this room for sure, before you were born, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. While you were, Romans 5.10 says, an enemy of God. Think about that. Not like you were on the wrong team. You were diabolically opposed to all that is good and holy. That is our reality apart from Jesus Christ. And that's when Jesus loved us. That's amazing. That's got to encourage you. That's got to cause your heart to be like, well, yeah, he really does love me. That's fantastic. And that should lead to life change. That should fuel your faith for him. Uh, John Stott said, no Christian who has grasped the truth, the truth of him for me, could ever seriously contemplate reverting to the old sinful self. People don't sin at the foot of the cross. I say this to students in our youth group all the time. Like, I'm really struggling with my sin. I'm like, have you been to the cross lately? Have you thought about the gospel? Have you intentionally thought about the work of Jesus for you? Because if you're thinking about what he's done for you, it's hard to be like willfully walking off back into sin. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We need to do this. We need to believe that his way is best. Think about this for a second, though. Who it is who's loved you. See that in the verse there? It says, the Son of God who loved you. So that's already encouraging. This is the Son of God. But think about what he has done. Colossians 1 says that that he is the creator of all things, and he loves you. Hebrews 1 says that he, is the, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I love this picture. Okay, this is what I think of. Maybe you think of other things. But when I think of upholds the universe by the word of his power, I just pause for a second and I always think about gravity. Ever thought about how amazing gravity is? You know what centrifugal force is? All right? Pick a little kid up and spin around and you'll see their legs kind of go up. All right? Hold them under their arms so you don't wreck their elbows. Okay? But just that centrifugal force. Listen. The earth is spinning at such a speed and gravity has such a pull on it and the earth is spinning at a certain speed and never slowing down and gravity has the right pull on it so that, listen, because if the gravitational pull didn't change but the earth slowed down a little bit, we'd all be like, stuck to the earth. And if it went just a little faster, we'd all be like, off the earth. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. All of it, everything, everything. And he loves you. 
How encouraging is that for you this morning? The psalmist says he speaks and mountains melt. And he loves you. Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. All of it. He has all of the authority, every bit of it. And he loves you. The more that I think, I know I'm kind of getting loud right now because I get excited about this. This is awesome that he loves me while I was yet a sinner, even when I'm struggling, even when it's difficult. He loves me and he has shown this great affection and care for me. This is the compassion that my God in heaven has for me. This is why he sent his son, Jesus, so that you can believe in him and be forgiven of your sin because he loves you. And if you haven't done that, I would say to you today, receive that. Receive forgiveness of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Understand all that he has done for you and let that be confident, fueling help for everything else in life. Let that take over your life. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Ted Duncan, he's the senior pastor at Harvest Brampton on the other side of the city. I heard him in a Q&A one time, and he was asked, what is your favorite doctrine? It's kind of a weird question, but he said, the doctrine of depravity. And I sat there, I was like, well, that's a weird doctrine to have as your favorite. And he went on to explain that the more he understands his own sinful depravity, the more he understands more richly and more sweetly the goodness of the gospel. And I've been telling people that's my favorite doctrine ever since. <laughs> Because it's true for me too. Listen, so often in Christian life, we think like perfection's here and we're like a minus six on the, uh, the Ten Commandments scale. Sometimes we're a seven, sometimes we're a five, but like that's what we've done. And so Jesus died on the cross for us. And he brings us back to holy and he gives us a little inheritance with him in heaven. That's awesome. That is a wrong understanding of what God has done. Listen, if this is perfection and holiness, you and I are astronomically, infinitely, desperately, despicably off the chart. I can't think of any more big words to describe how sinful we are. But by the grace of God, he dies on the cross and he not just brings us to holiness, but then he adopts us as children of God, sons and daughters of God, inheritance with him in heaven for all eternity. The problem is we're just like, oh, I'm a minus seven. So we only love God like a plus six. Luke seven, the sinful woman. Jesus says she has been forgiven much, so she loves much. Do you understand you've been forgiven much? And has it responded in your life? Is it reflected with a great love for God? This is why we need to be reminded of the gospel. This is why we need to have this kind of fuel for our faith when we think about the truth of the gospel, that it will encourage us for all of the things that are to come yet in life. I wanted to give you a story of this from scripture. David, you're familiar with David, right? He fought the, the giant, Goliath. That's the story. So David, he shows up. Um, his father has sent him. First uh, Samuel 17 describes him as ruddy and handsome, all right? Which means he's kind of like this cute, good-looking little boy. Essentially, that's all he's got going for him. They send him to the, his brothers who are there with the nation of Israel fighting the Philistines. And so there's this big valley and the Philistine army's over here and the nation of Israel's over here and they've made this deal. We're not all going to die. We're just going to send two people together. They're going to fight in the middle. Except the Philistines had this little ace up their sleeve, Goliath, giant, nine foot six, huge, massive dude. And though he's been standing there challenging them, send someone out, send something out for a long time. They've gotten hungry. David's brought food. Now you're up to speed on the story. So David comes and he shows up. Now, somebody should have already gone to fight. Saul, the king of Israel, a head taller than everybody else, he was their giant. He should have gone to fight, but he didn't. David shows up. Remember, ruddy and handsome. He's this cute, good-looking little boy. Not a warrior. He shows up and he sees this Goliath and he's like, well, I'll fight him. 
And everyone's like, no, you won't. He's like, no, I'll fight him. And they're like, okay, you need to go talk to the king. So he goes in to talk to the king. And the king says, you know, why should we let you fight him? And in 1 Samuel 17, 36, he says something like this. He says, I have fought both lions and bears, and the Lord has let me prevail over them. He's given me victory over them. This Philistine will be like one of them. Just pause for a second and think about what he's already fought. Lions and bears, the plural of those things. Like, how crazy is that? I got to tell you, if I'm a shepherd and my dad sends me out and I get the whiff of one lion or bear ever, I ain't never going back to the sheep. No way, anyhow. It's just not happening. He has fought both lions and bears. And so he looks back at God's continued faithfulness and he's like, the future's no problem. Because I know my God will give me victory. And what happens? He goes and he has complete victory. Listen, you and I have way greater victory than over lions and bears. With the victory over the problem of sin and death through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that should fuel us to live for God. There is no giant ahead of us that is too big that we cannot fight and go after because of Jesus Christ in us, believing by faith and trusting in God. This is the truth and the reality of the gospel that we need to hear, that we need to get, and that needs to change our lives. Do you understand this? Have you received the truth of the gospel? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? And is it changing you if you have? If you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, how is your life different? What has the truth of the reality of the theology in God's word done to your life to make you different? And is the love of God fueling you? Or do you often get into a place of kind of repetition and stuck in sin where you're not thinking about the gospel? See, this is why as followers of Jesus, we need to think about the gospel every day. And not just so that we can be good at articulating it to somebody we happen to meet on the bus who asks us a question about church. And that's great. It's important. But you need to teach this theology to yourself. And I do too. Often we need to be reminding ourselves that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I got to live this life in the flesh in faith in Jesus who's loved me. And that's our confidence, and that's our fuel to trust him. This is what faith in Jesus should look like. I'm going to have you just bow your heads right now. And I believe in this room right now, there's two kinds of people. There's people in this room right now who genuinely, um, you, you need forgiveness of your sin. You've never gone to God and asked for forgiveness. You don't have the salvation that I've spoken of. Uh, you lack the grace of God. But it's freely offered to you this morning through Jesus Christ. He has done the the work of dying on the cross and taking the punishment for your sin. If you would just believe in him, if you would pray to him and ask, he says in his word, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if that's you here this morning, don't wait till this afternoon. Eternity is at stake here and sin is crucifyingly important. Take this moment right now and confess your sin to God and ask for forgiveness. Tell him. And maybe you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But if truth be told, you haven't been fighting sin. Or there's been specific sin you haven't been fighting. You can't point to anything that you've killed in a while because genuinely you've just become a little bit apathetic towards fighting sin. You're trusting in the finished work of of God for your salvation, which is great but he's called you to grow more like Jesus now. There's been no cruciformity in your life. And I would encourage you right now, 
where you're at. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for many years. Maybe you're new in Christ. To ask God to help you have victory over your sin. Take this moment. You'll get distracted in the car on the way home. You won't do it this afternoon. Do it right now. Go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would be stirring our faith and our affection in you this morning. That you would allow the truth of the gospel of your son, Jesus, by your spirit to be transforming our lives. That our lives would be increasing with cruciformity and dying to self. There would be more conviction to live out our faith that we have in you and a confidence to do so because we know and understand better and more and more the love of Jesus Christ for us. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your help. It's Christ in us, Lord. It's faith in you. It's all you, Lord. So please, would you help us? We love you and thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.